I'm Jason Lewis. And I'm Todd DeShida. Welcome to Climate Optimus. As a couple concerned citizens, we're on a journey to explore climate solutions and ways each of us can make a difference. So thanks to everybody who's responded to our ask this month to recommend the podcast to a friend or family member. If you haven't yet, fear not, you still have time. Just take a moment right now to think of someone in your circle who might like it and tell Siri, Alexa, Google Assistant, whoever you use, to remind you to reach out to them. You know, I think really Google needs to work on a name for their assistant. And I was thinking maybe Google should mix it up with like a classic name, you know, like a Jeeves or Helen or something. Well, they used to, to have different. Ask Jeeves, right? I can't remember what platform that was on, but it was Ask Jeeves, right? Wasn't there something It, it like was. That? I just think they should go away from the the tech names, like do something kind of different. Computer. Be like Picard. That's what I always want to do in my house whenever I want something. I just want to say computer. (laughs) T. Old gray hot. You know, the other one uh, you could do is you could go back to Space Odyssey. It could be be Hal. Yeah, Hal. Yeah. Yeah, Of course, Hal kind of went south towards the end. I don't know if you want an assistant like Hal. True. Well, that's, that's the danger of this whole thing. Yeah, don't get me going on that. So our, uh, our second ask for listeners this week is to share how the podcast has impacted you, whether it's an action you took as a result of an episode or maybe how it changed your perspective. Submit a comment on our website, include your, your first name and where in the world you're from. And our goal is to collect a few of these and then start featuring them on uh, upcoming episodes. So this week, we've got EV industry expert Jamie Dow from Electrek joining us to give us an update on where things stand in the EV market. But before we go there, what have you got this week for a reason for hope for us? Well, I guess the headline would be that uh, Mexico has pledged $2 billion to cut methane leaks, which is pretty huge. Uh, Pemex, yeah, Mexico's state-run oil company, has not had the best track record historically uh, on methane leaks. And of course, as we've talked about, this this matters a lot because methane's roughly 25 times more potent than CO2 at uh, warming the atmosphere and counts for roughly 20% of global greenhouse gas emissions. So a pretty significant chunk. Um, yeah. And last year at the climate summit in Glasgow, you know, Mexico joined the 100 other nations in signing the Global Methane Pledge, which I remember we, we've talked about before, um, and it announced this week it'll spend $2 billion to cut methane leaks by 98%. So no timeline yet, but uh, obviously pretty pretty significant chunk of news. Yeah, and hopefully this leads other nations to kind of follow, you know, putting the their money where their mouth is when it comes to, to dealing with methane. Exactly. So good for Mexico. For sure. So, you know, we started this podcast almost a year ago, which is hard to imagine. That's right. And it's crazy. We, it is crazy. And we, and we started it with a couple episodes focused on, on EVs. Maybe the equally crazy thing is how much has changed in the last nine months since that episode in the, in the, on the EV side of things. And so we figured it was really, you know, a good time to revisit the topic. And our, our guest today... Jamie Dow has been an EV enthusiast for over 14 years. His his passion for EVs began back in in 08 with the release of the original Tesla Roadster. I don't know if you remember that car, but it was pretty sweet when it That's hit right. the market. Mm-hmm. A couple years later, 
his family leased a Mini E, BMW's initial step into the the EV market based on the, you know, popular Mini Cooper. Right. He has worked at Tesla, written on autoblogs, and since 2016 has been writing for Electrek, the online news source tracking, analyzing, and breaking news on the transition to electric transportation. So excited to have him on the program. Jamie, welcome to Climate Optimus. Hi, nice to be here. So we'll start you with a question that we start all our guests. Uh, When it comes to efforts to address climate change, what makes you hopeful? Well, I will tell you that it is hard sometimes. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And I've got to bring that. I mean, I know the, the whole title is Climate Optimist, and I would still say that I'm generally an optimist, but man, it's it's hard because I think the arrow is going the right direction globally, even sure. oddly enough in the U.S. We, we have actually reduced our, um, our emissions in the U.S. Uh, quite significantly, but that's easy to do when you're ahead of everybody. So things are going the right direction, but not quite enough. I think that it, one really great thing, reason for optimism is that uh, young people universally understand the importance of climate change. And, you know, young people, I mean, here we are, we're about to talk about electric cars and young people don't even want cars. And one other great thing is that uh, you've got solar and wind becoming cheaper than fossil generation electricity. And the reason that's, of course, related to electric cars is because if we have fully clean grids through cheap solar and wind, then we can fill up our electric cars with completely zero emissions electricity from start to back. And then you have not just the emissions reductions of going to electric, but you also have the emissions reductions of having clean a clean electricity grid to plug it into, which can reduce your total emissions, your total life cycle emissions from an electric car fueled on solar and wind versus a diesel or gasoline car you get maybe an 80 to 90% reduction in life cycle emissions. And that does include manufacturing of the battery and everything else, which is all uh, taken into account in these life cycle emission studies. And that's huge. You know, a lot of people it think that, that the the battery is uh, some, you know, huge emissions hog, but it's not compared to the amount of emissions that you get from driving a gas car 150,000 miles over its lifetime. So, So we're just trying to get things faster. Anytime I see someone some region committing to, um, you know, all electric cars by 2035. I'm like, oh, what about 2030? And then they're thinking, well, maybe we'll do 2030. Oh, cool. What about 2028? You know, <laughs> well, maybe we can do eh, maybe 2025. Norway's doing 2025. You're gonna let the nor you're gonna let the oil state beat you. Norway's an oil state. You can't be- let them beat you. They're doing 2025. Why don't you do 2024, Los Angeles? Come on. You know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I feel the same way. It's like you got to keep moving the goalposts so that we can, you know, yeah. accelerate yeah. the transition. Yeah, you just never, never be satisfied. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess quickly, what what led you to your role um, writing about EVs? How did you yeah. find yourself to this place? So, um, actually, complete happenstance. Um, funny thing is, uh, if you go back to high school and college, I hated writing. I hated English class. I wrote papers about how much I hated writing. (laughs) But then I, you know, as as time went on, I realized it was more about, you know, organizing your thoughts and communicating them properly and all that stuff. And uh, then I got into electric cars. I I mean, I was always into the idea. But when I saw the Tesla Roadster when it first 
uh, was announced in 2006. I remember that night and I was very excited about it. And I was running back and forth in and out of my room telling my dad like, oh, wow, look, it does this. It does that. A couple years later, uh, my family got into the Mini E program, which was only 500 cars. It was a BMW test vehicle for um, electric car platforms. And we drove that lease only for a couple of years. It was awesome. We all loved it. We all became just 100% EV advocates in that moment. I went to work for Tesla for a couple of years. Uh, I quit. I started writing just random comments on the internet, just being engaged in, in forums and stuff. And one day I got a message saying, hey, I run uh, the biggest electric car site on the internet. You want to write for us? <laughs> <laughs> so I just started doing it and it just kind of happened. And I've got a lot of knowledge on the um, industry since I've been around for 14 years at this point. So it's just something that happened and people seem to like what I have to say. So uh, so there you go. That's just the life of uh, the Internet these days, right? <laughs> just yeah. Do something. And if people like it, then uh, uh, it works. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's always interesting to hear, you know, the path, you know, often nonlinear path that, that folks take. Let's talk kind of macro level about mm -hmm. the EV markets that are out there. Yep. Can you speak a little bit to sort of which markets are, are kind of leading the way in terms of EV yep. adoption and what are the reasons? Yeah. The easy ones are Norway, California, the rest of Europe as a whole, sort of. China's doing a little bit. And then uh, if you want some non-leaders, Japan is way behind. But uh, <laughs> let's talk about the top. Norway is the biggest electric car market in the world. Not biggest by number, but biggest by percentage. Um, as of last month, I think they had 93% of new cars have a plug on it. Wow. And 80, more than 80% of new cars are full battery electric vehicles with no gasoline uh, component whatsoever. Um, so they're there. Now they had been planning to hit that target by 2025. And they've basically hit it three years early. Um, and the way they got there was they had a bunch of credits. Uh, so what they do in Norway is they have not really a carbon tax. They have a upfront tax on all motor vehicles that is intended to reduce motor vehicle use. So it's essentially like an upfront price on the, the amount of pollution that the car is going to put out over its lifetime. Now, it's not specifically for that reason, but, it, you know, they just had a huge tax on new cars and it's it's like 100 wow. percent. And electric cars for a long time have been exempt from that. So it, it did get there largely through um, subsidies, although I would argue that subsidies on electric cars are more a correction for the amount of subsidies that gas cars have because all the pollution they put out that's on price that you don't have to pay for wow. that. That is a subsidy. That's an implicit subsidy. You know, somebody is paying those costs, but those costs are being paid in terms of health costs, uh, environmental costs and things like that. They're just being paid, paid on the back end. Um, so anyway, Norway uh, is is really the leader and just no one is even close. And then in terms of big markets that are leaders, California is obviously uh, a big leader. California is a huge car market. There's 40 million people. California has always been pushing the automotive industry forward and um, electric cars has been one of the things that we've really pushed lately. Uh, it doesn't hurt that Tesla came from California. And also, uh, we do just naturally have a low mix of pickups and large vehicles. We have a, a higher mix of sedans in California, which means that, you know, one of the automotive types that hasn't been electrified yet or is just now getting electrified 
uh, that didn't really hold us back from uh, electrifying our vehicle fleet. So there's that. And then also Europe is pushing uh, things forward. But I think Europe and California are kind of in a similar place. And uh, Europe did take a little bit longer to get on board because the Germans sort of had to be forced into doing it by Dieselgate. (laughs) When uh, (laughs) VW was found to be uh, lying about emissions tests. Uh, But they've really cleaned up since then. And VW being the largest German automaker has sort of led the uh, European auto industry in that direction. Uh, the French automakers are doing well, too. So, yeah, Norway, California, then Europe. China could go either way. Well, it's, I mean, I don't have to tell you this, I guess, but it's, it's exciting to see, you know, a country like Norway, states like California making huge gains, knowing that EVs are only getting better and only getting cheaper. And so yeah. it makes the case even more compelling for why we should be making the switch today and not only today, but doing it, but doing it faster. Yeah. And one thing that I like to say about Norway is that, you know, Norway set a target of 2025, which everybody thought was too early, and they've still basically beaten it three years early. So what do you think about California's 2035 target? Are we really going to be selling a lot of gas cars in 2035? We're not. There's no, no one's going to, in 2034, no one's going to look at a car and say, oh, I want to get that car that I'm not going to be able to fill up in five years because they're going to be closing down gas stations. And, uh, and everyone's going to look at me funny. So that leads to a question, you know, kind of on the, the U.S. market. How much are EV sales set to, to grow in 2022? You know, where are sure. we and, and how much are we set to expand? So it's hard to say, but in general, I would predict that you're going to see about a 50%, 50 to 100% increase in EV sales every year for the next at least few years. And I think you're going to see the same thing in Europe. The one issue is supply chains. How much, how many electric cars can these manufacturers make? Because right now you've got almost every electric car manufacturer sold out for the year or for the next several years. Which is exciting. Um, yeah. Maybe frustrating for a buyer who's trying to get one today. Uh, Absolutely. But, and frustrating but... for me who wants to see a 500% increase. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, right. until we get to 100%. Well, so maybe this is. Kind of looking more into your crystal ball, but are you seeing any indications that you know give you a sense of when kind of that supply demand um, piece might be back in balance with EVs? I honestly don't see it becoming back in balance. Uh, one thing that auto manufacturers have been saying for years and years and years is, "Oh, there's no demand for electric cars. There's no demand. There's a demand problem. There's no demand. There's no demand." Uh, you know, Tesla's hitting the the top of their demand curve, all this kind of stuff. They're not saying it anymore now that they're finally right. making cars. Uh, but the crazy thing is they still don't get it. Every time a new electric car gets announced, it's sold out in 20 minutes. So I feel like the amount of demand for electric cars is going to ramp up at least as fast as the amount of supply again for the foreseeable future. So it's all about just build as many as you can. You know, you've you've probably seen those adoption curves where it starts kind of slow and then it ramps up. It hits an inflection point and ramps up to like almost vertical. And then there's another inflection point for the late, um, the late adopters, uh, the late adopters. And I think until we hit that second inflection point, you know, when you get 70 or 80 percent of new car sales being electric, you're going to have a weird balance when it comes to supply and demand and EV sales. Uh, it just I think people want them and I think people want them more than they know. And uh, anyone who has one doesn't want to go back to gas. I mean, we're talking about 
three or four percent of people who buy an electric car want to go back to a gas car they're great they're better can i tell you that everyone listening to the podcast electric cars are just better <laughs> i can't even drive a gas car anymore they're so slow why do i have to go to a gas station i go to a gas station i take my credit card out and i put it in the thing and all my money goes to literal environmental terrorists who are trying to burn the world down and i have to touch <laughs> that that handle that every other guy touch and then there's a tv blaring ads at me the whole place smells. There's stickers everywhere saying I'm going to get cancer. Why do I want to be here? I could just be at home plugging into my wall. It's so much easier. <laughs> totally. Well, so kind of, I guess looking to the future, we're talking about trends and growth. Are you seeing any exciting trends in terms of upcoming EV models? I mean, I think folks are getting familiar with kind of what's on the block right now, but I'm gathering there's a lot of stuff in the pipeline. So yeah, uh, I think right now is when we're finally starting to see the whole market mature into sort of real cars. For a long time, the electric car market has been compliance cars, which are cars that were built just to comply with California emissions regulations. So they're only available in California and the 13 other states that follow California's clean air laws. They're often lease only or they're limited production, so they'll only sell like 2,000 of them or, or something like that. And then the automaker gets credits that they can use to keep building polluting gas cars. Uh, because if they didn't sell these electric cars, then they would be penalized for having a low fleet mile per gallon uh, average. Interesting. There are a lot. Yes. And the first generation of electric cars were that. They were cars where they just took an old vehicle platform, slapped a battery in the back, and left a big massive hole in the underneath the the front hood so those kinds of cars are on the way out now now you've got things like the ford mach e uh, mustang mach e the hyundai ionic 5 and the nissan area which is coming out soon uh, the cadillac lyric they're, they're just they're all very exciting they're designed around being electric they've thought out a lot of things that they should have thought out right away and this is where tesla has been ahead of everyone because they haven't they started off with a clean slate saying, we're going to build an electric car. So the Tesla Model 3, the Rivian R1T, these are cars that were built from the ground up to be electric and are fantastic as a result. And you're seeing a lot of those hitting the market now from other automakers too. The Chevy Bolt was the first time you had a major automaker that really put it all together. So I think that's when you started to see really good consumer electric cars hitting in around 2017. And then now you're, you're really, they're really hitting their stride. Well, I guess that's a good lead in. I mean, if you're, you know, talking to folks who are prospective, you know, EV buyers, first time EV buyers, what's your high level advice? What are the handful yeah. of things that folks should be thinking about when they're looking to buy an EV? So best advice is you'll be fine. You do have to learn a few things, but like once you learn them and you learn them pretty quickly, you're fine. It's not a big deal. You charge the car a little bit differently than you used to. I will say that I recommend having a place to charge, like at home or at work. If you live in an apartment and don't have control of your own parking space, there are also um, states that require any multi-unit dwelling to allow you to install your own charger. So you can look into that. If you live in California or New York, they have it. I think Hawaii and Colorado, maybe the other west coast states do i'm not sure uh it's a little bit different in every state so look into your state's uh regulations on it they're usually called right to charge laws but yeah so that's my main thing and then once you do that everything's fine 
all the nonsense that people say about range anxiety, it is not something that electric car drivers experience. Well, and I guess it should be said that uh, our charging infrastructure is getting better every day. So even if you are yes. making those road trips, I mean, I'm sure you're, right. you're closer to the data, but... Um... I can talk about that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so like taking a road trip on a, in an electric car, in a Tesla, it's fantastic. In other cars, it's pretty good. Anytime I've taken a friend on a road trip with an electric car, they find it pleasant. I went up to, to Mammoth for a wedding a couple of years back, and my friend who went along with me, um, we drove up and we just stopped for lunch. And we charged where we stopped for lunch. And then when I got up to Mammoth, I stopped and uh, bought some wine for the people we were staying with, right? And there was a charger at the, uh, at the grocery store. And I spent 15 minutes getting some wine and cheese. And then I parked the car in the garage. I didn't even charge at the house I was staying at. And none of this took any extra time. We didn't spend any extra time charging other than the amount of time that we would have normally taken. And my friend went around and was was telling everyone, oh, yeah, it was so easy. And then she asked me if she give, could give me gas money. And I'm like, um, I don't know, $3 maybe? Because <laughs> it was nothing. Didn't right. cost a whole lot. So, right. you know. It's it's a very simple experience, and it's it's much easier once you do it and you get used to it. You do have to think about it a little bit, but don't worry; it'll be fine. That's my main my main advice. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Right? Yeah, and I mean, it, I guess the reality is, while we obviously want the capability to be able to take a road trip, most of the miles we're putting on a car is absolutely within a you know pretty small radius of our house. So we're talking about the kind of the momentum that's in place with our transition to EVs. From your perspective, what are the keys to ensuring that we continue that that rapid transition? I know we talked about, you know, supply, you know, of EVs mm-hmm. being a, a constraint, but are there other things that you see as critical to ensuring we make that 2030 EV or 2035 yeah. EV target? I mean, I think that a lot of governments and manufacturers are already aware of this. I think they weren't aware of this in like 2014, for the last decade, I've gone around to various uh, manufacturer representatives at events. And and the pattern that I found amongst all of these EV guys is they were always complaining about dealerships, battery supply, and charging networks. They all said, it's hard to get the dealers on board. We need to train them. And you know they're really hesitant to do this because they're worried about not being able to do oil changes or whatever. Um, battery supply, we haven't secured enough battery supply, so we can't build as many cars as we want anyway, uh, and charging networks. Funny thing about all these things is that we knew these were issues in like 2014. There is a company that, uh, decided to go its own way on all of those issues in 2014. And surprisingly enough, that company is now the biggest automaker on earth by market cap and is selling more electric cars than everybody else combined. (laughs) So we knew that these were things that these were problems that people should have should have seen in 2014 and now they're finally catching up um i think that the automakers get it um and then in terms of policy to get people this is probably more interesting to the uh to the consumer what you can vote about what you can talk to your representatives about um i think that we we do need to keep ev focused policy we need to keep focusing on making sure that governments aren't putting blockades to ev adoption a lot of governments are putting fees on EV registration, which I think are silly. The uh, rationale is that EVs don't pay gas taxes uh, for the road. 
I can go into why I think that's an incorrect rationale because a lot of these EV fees, EV registration fees are greater than the amount of gas taxes that the car would pay anyway. And also the vast majority of damage done to roads is done by um, uh, semis, tractor trailers. So this idea that EVs are unfairly damaging the roads uh, and not paying for it is is kind of silly, uh, especially since they don't have that same mentality about gas cars unfairly damaging the air that we breathe and not paying for it. Now, if they did that, great, fine, fair. Um, right. But yeah, so we need to keep policy focused on not adding unnecessary roadblocks to EVs, subsidizing them where possible, making sure there's realistic uh, carbon prices on the amount of damage that um, gas cars are doing. But I generally think that we are kind of just going in that direction. And the reason I started with production and and uh, battery supply is because, as I said earlier, I think that EVs will sell out. As many EVs as they can make will sell out for the foreseeable future. I think that we've finally seen enough of a change in the public consciousness that people want electric cars at this point. Maybe not enough to consider them the default like they do in Norway, but I think we're heading in that direction. Yeah, it's it's exciting to think about. That's for sure. Well, Jamie, thanks uh, for spending some time to come talk to us about Absolutely. EVs. It's a big topic to try to fit into an episode, but I think you've given us a nice taste of the trends that are out there and, and for all those folks who are excited to get into EVs, some, some good things to think about. So yeah, thanks for joining us and coming on the show. Well, nice to meet you, Jason. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. So, Todd, what did you uh, think of the points that, that Jamie raised? Well, I definitely can agree with his gas station bit, which I thought was was really funny, and just the way he <laughs> described his experience. And I definitely can sympathize with, uh, you know, why do I want to be here <laughs> at this gas station? Because it's true. And when you when you have an electric car and you just, you never go there anymore, and uh, you get used to that, and you know, and I hear I hear what he's saying on range anxiety, and obviously with these longer range models coming out, I think some of that has lessened. But I think, you know, he's right that I think people will get used to the little bit of extra time. I think we also live kind of a driving culture, and you know, where I don't like to drive that much. It really is about just getting somewhere, and I think right. that's a shift. I think maybe... There are more people now who are really just like, this is just a place to, you know, this is a way to get me from point A to point B. You know, the charged charging station thing. I find that interesting. I know you have a you have a Tesla, so you can probably speak to some of this and the standardization of like charging stations. Yeah, I mean, Jamie could obviously speak in more detail, but I, I can speak to the, the Tesla network and they've done a pretty phenomenal job at placing mm -hmm. those at every you know hundred and some miles where you would you would need them when you're you know when you're on a road trip and it sounds like we're really headed towards a place where soon you're going to be able to charge on either network well people will probably experience more places that they wouldn't normally have through this too it won't wouldn't surprise me if people build experiences around some of the charging infrastructure yeah and well you know tesla right now it's a really seamless experience you tell the car where you want to go and it literally tells you where to stop and you know what's going that, to be that's there cool kind of trip planning stuff 
Yeah, I mean, the other automaker is going to be there shortly, right? Yeah. You're going to have the same sort of app that's going to tell you, here are your suggested stops. Not really a long drive fan anyway. Like, if I could take a bullet train, or I would, just to not have, <laughs> right? have to deal with it. Yeah, I just, I, I don't know. It doesn't thrill me. But uh, I, you know, what he said too, you know, you'll be fine, basically, when people are talking about this. I think that's so true. You know, we have a real low range electric car for local driving, and we've been, yeah, we've been fine the whole time, uh, to the point where you just don't really even worry about it anymore. Yeah. How about I, you? What what were what were some of your takeaways? I think, I mean, similar to you, I mean, I could relate to a lot of what what Jamie was saying, and the charging piece and the t- extra time it takes. At least in my experience, the only time you ever need to stop for a charge is when you are on a road trip. So right. daily driving, I never stop because yeah. I charged at home. I totally agree with you. And to echo that, even with the Chevy Spark we have that started out with 80 miles of range, I've done 98 or 99% of our charging at home. It's, it's so simple. Yeah, it really is. But aside from, you know, kind of relating to those those points that he made, I think my biggest takeaways were Norway has been the test case to prove that this is this is possible. You know, if there was any doubts about whether you could operate, you know, a nation on EVs, they've proven that that it's doable. Mm-hmm. And and they've done so in a place that's a pretty harsh environment, right? Norway gets chilly in the wintertime and you know, that cuts the range of your car a little bit. And if it's not an issue for them, then it shouldn't be an issue for anybody else, right? I mean, yeah, they get that kind of cold where like your eyelids start freezing shut and, you know, and they're out skiing in it for fun. And it's like, so if Norway's made it work, yeah. it's going to work everywhere else. Yep. My other two takeaways were, first, we can't forget about continuing to tighten up the fuel economy standards and emission standards in other countries to avoid this shifting of old gas cars, you know, to economies where you don't have those things in place, right? It doesn't matter if the carbon gets burned in in the US or in Europe or Mm -hmm. in, you know, South America or Australia, it's still carbon up in the air. So Thomas, we're counting on you and our other Australian listeners to push the new government to make it happen down there. I know you guys don't have fuel economy standards, so get that one tied out and we'll be in a better place. Um, yeah. And then my final takeaway was really just that EVs are going to be a key way for us to meet near-term emission targets. The uh, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change says that this decade is really the most important decade we have in terms of battling climate change. And you know, that we need to be cutting our emissions by roughly 50% to avoid that climate tipping point, which is a huge deal. Yeah. And while there are places where it's going to be harder to decarbonize, transportation is is an easy one. And in the United States, it's the number one source of, of carbon emissions. And in Europe, it's number two. So we really need to just have this decade be the decade of the electric vehicle, obviously in, in combination with continuing our our conversion over to to wind and solar. Yeah, well, it sounds like we're moving in that direction, whether the powers that be kind of wanted it to happen or not. You know, I I feel like the good news is, as he said, you know, these things sell out as soon as they come on the market. Yeah, agreed. It's it's taken on a life of its own. And 
you know, his point about the adoption curve is real. And so that leads into kind of, you know, this week, the question of what can we do? And the ask is really when you get ready to buy your next car to, to go electric. And as Jamie pointed out, start that, that journey earlier than later, you know, take the time to start looking around, you know, borrow your friend's electric car, do a test drive and take a moment to check and see what incentives are in place. There are existing federal incentives out there, $7,500 for all manufacturers except for Tesla and GM who've hit their their limit. And then there's state incentives on top of that. Mm-hmm. And if you are already the owner of an EV, our ask to you would be to you know go show it off to your, your friends and family and, and educate them on it. Any other recommendations there, Todd? I would just say, if you're on the fence, I would just do it. I don't think you'll regret it. I mean, what what uh, Jamie said about you know about them fighting over the, the to drive that car when all the other ones are sitting there <laughs> in the drive. It's true, you know. You just it's so it's just so much easier, and the driving experience is so nice. You just don't once you get used to it, you don't really want to drive the other cars. Um, yeah, I I completely agree. Well, I think we've probably done enough evangelizing on electric cars for today. But thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Come back uh, next week for more climate solutions, reasons for hope, and ways each of us can make a difference. Climate Optimist is made possible by Climate Stewards Collective. You can find us on the web at climateoptimist.co. And as always, don't forget to follow us on social at Climate Optimist Podcast. Podcast.